Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 starts with the gospel, which is inextricably connected to the resurrection found in verses 1 through 4. This was the gospel, which was preached immediately upon the arrival of the Holy Spirit, as described in Acts chapter 2. It had never changed. It is exactly the same today as when it was preached by Peter, James, John, Philip, Stephen, and Paul. An essential part of the gospel is the certainty of the resurrection, which is emphasized in this week's passage found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 through 49. Please follow along with Pastor Jim as he teaches today's slice of this week's message entitled, How Are the Dead Raised? One thing we can say about 1 Corinthians 15, 29 is, whatever the meaning is, it has to fit the context. Well, that eliminates a whole bunch of the 30 or 40 interpretations that have been proposed over the centuries. Whatever it means, it has to be relevant to an argument for the certainty of the resurrection from the dead, because that's what the context is. Second thing we can say about it is, whatever it means, it has to fit with the meaning of the words and the grammar of the text. Um, it, It has to involve something that is done for the sake of or on behalf of the dead, because that's the range of meaning for the preposition that's translated for. It's in place of or, in, uh, or on behalf of. Whatever else we say, it has to be related to an existing practice with which the Corinthians were familiar. We know that because Paul mentions it and he doesn't explain it. He, he just refers to it because there was something that they knew was happening that was baptism huper necroi, for the dead. Now, that all means we know there was such a thing going on in Corinth. It was well known, otherwise he couldn't mention it without explaining it. He doesn't say that this was something that was necessarily being done in the church there, only that the people in the church there knew about it. Two possibilities exist then. It was either a pagan practice in Corinth, and boy, did they have a whole bunch of pagan practices going on. That whole temple of Aphrodite thing is enough to uh, choke a hippopotamus anyway, just on, on for fault for bad doctrine. Or it might possibly have been a perversion of Christian baptism. Now, there's only 30 or 40 interpretations. I don't mind throwing mine into the hat. It's not different from any of the 30 or 40 that are out there. But I prefer to see it as a pagan practice of baptism by proxy for people who died, probably associated with one of the the Greek 
religions that had certainly had its impact on Corinth. That would make it a first century practice very similar to what our Mormon friends do. If it was a perversion of the Christian baptism and it was being practiced in the church, I don't think Paul would have just made a passing reference to it. I think he would have landed with both feet on it and rebuked them seriously for doing something like that. Paul did not um, go lightly on perversions of sound doctrine. So, this fits into the context how? Well, he's talking about the certainty of resurrection. And he's using this as an illustration of how passionately people believe in life after death. To believe that the death, that grave isn't the end of everything, that's normal. And one such evidence is that people take steps to do things in this life because of what they believe about life after death. So three comments and we'll move on. First of all, all advocates of vicarious baptism that we can find reference to in the first several centuries after Christ, they were all heretics. Vicarious baptism never was practiced in mainstream Christianity. It's foreign to uh, the Bible. Secondly, it is intellectually and exegetically dishonest to twist 1 Corinthians 15, 29 into a command. Paul does not tell anybody to be baptized for the dead. He says, look, even people that are baptized for the dead believe in resurrection. That's normal to believe in resurrection. He gives no hint that he approved of it, no hint that he wanted anyone to do it. And because of where we live, I think it's important to point out that the Mormon practice of vicarious baptism for the dead is not supported at all by this verse or anything anywhere else in the Bible. They believe that the origin of that practice was in a revelation allegedly given to Joseph Smith. So that whole idea comes from outside the Bible through the mouth and the pen of somebody that believed a completely different gospel. They reference this verse, but there's still no way to twist it into a command. Now, there is one halfway credible interpretation that could explain this as a Christian practice is that it might refer to living believers who give testimony at their baptism to the fact that believers who died before them influenced them to faith. In other words, a a kind of a generational thing. Uh, I I saw in my parents this transformation in their life, and and I have believed in the one who who did the transformation. I, I can live with that, but that still doesn't fit the word translated for which means in behalf, behalf of. Um, and if that's the case, it would have referred to a very tiny number of people in Corinth to whom it could possibly have applied because this church hadn't been around all that long. There wasn't time for multiple generations and for people who are now with the Lord 
to have had a, um, that big of an influence on that number uh, of people. But for 1 Corinthians 15.29, it's not a command. Don't go do it. I think it refers to a pagan practice. And the point is, it shows that people believe in life after death. Now, let's move on. We want to go all the way through this passage. Uh, verses 29 to 34, remember, this is about the certainty of the resurrection. So pick it up. Why are we also, also means similarly, this like they believe that there's resurrection from the dead. Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. What he's saying to his friends in Corinth is they knew that he risked his life consistently to preach the gospel to people like them. That's something pretty drastic to do because of the certainty of resurrection. That kind of sacrifice, that kind of risk-taking would be absurd without the resurrection being a reality. So verse 32, if from human motives... I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. What does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, you might be thinking, what wild beasts at Ephesus? We're reading through Acts. I didn't read about any wild beasts in Ephesus. Maybe there were wild beasts in Ephesus. Sure enough, you can find commentators that say Paul was probably taken in to do battle with the lions in an arena in, in Ephesus. Well, if he, if he did, he won. Now, he survived it, which wasn't usually the case in a situation like that. He's probably referring metaphorically to the, the vicious enemies of Christ that attacked him like wild beasts. The point is, if the dead are not, rise, are not raised, it's absurd to risk your life for the gospel which stands on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, that's a, that's a, proverbial, a proverbial statement. It's a proverb, not from our book of Proverbs, but the obvious application is don't hang around with people who deny the resurrection. And we know that there had been some who'd slipped into the church at at Corinth who were denying that there is such thing as resurrection from the dead. A person who denies that Jesus rose bodily from the grave or who denies that all will rise bodily from the grave should not ever be tolerated in any Christian church because their so-called gospel is anti-Christian. It just doesn't fit in any manner whatsoever. So verse 34, become sober-minded as you ought. In other words, think carefully, think thoroughly about this, become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. Now he shamed the Corinthians many times, right? He says, you ought to be ashamed that you're letting anybody be counted as part of the fellowship of of true believers in Christ who denies the resurrection. Another intentional slap to the attitude that was there. They were lax about sin in general. They were lax about the sin of of tolerating deviant doctrine. Now, that's the end of the arguments proving the fact of the resurrection. Now he's going to talk about 
the nature of the resurrection body. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.